Hello, this is Casey Thaler. I'm a National Academy of Sports Medicine Certified Personal Trainer and National Academy of Sports Medicine Certified Fitness Nutrition Specialist. I'm also a writer for Paleo Magazine, Dr. Cordain over at The Paleo Diet, Greatest, Breaking Muscle, Paleo Hacks, of course, and my own company, EatCleanTrainClean.com. The Effects of Food on Your Brain Craving, Satisfaction, Enjoyment, Disgust The effects of food on your brain are vast. Aging, anti-aging, weight loss, weight gain, diabetes, leptin resistance, these are only some of the effects which food has on our brain. Yes, all of these conditions have vital elements that take place in your brain, not just in your body. Eating sugar, especially in excess, has widespread negative health effects. High blood sugar levels caused by too much sugar in the diet have been directly correlated with increased risk for dementia. Too much sugar also leads to insulin resistance followed by leptin resistance, another condition that takes root in your brain. Chronically elevated leptin decreases hypothalamic leptin receptor expression and impairs leptin signaling. This means that you're eating more, but your brain doesn't think you are. Brain health. Conversely, there are a variety of ways the diet can protect your brain's health. Eating nutrient-dense, vegetable-heavy diets are the best way. One way they work is by the NRF2 transcription factor. NRF2 is referred to as a regulator for intracellular redox homeostasis. Scientific research has shown that very low-carbohydrate diets may activate the NRF2 pathway. This can occur via redox signaling. Turning on the NRF2 pathway seems to lead to chronic cellular adaptation, induction of protected proteins, and improvement of the mitochondrial redox state. So what foods turn on the NRF2 pathway? Dietary flavonoids, for one, mainly vegetables and fruit, are your best bet. NRF2 has been shown repeatedly to be critical for neuronal protection through the induction of various cytoprotective genes. This is one avenue by which eating your vegetables can quite literally protect your brain and improve your mental functioning. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, is another element that can be positively or negatively impacted by diet. Antidepressant treatments indeed showed increases in BDNF, which means that eating foods that help raise BDNF could help alleviate some symptoms of depression without having to take medications. In a world where the answer is increasingly to simply take a pill, this scientific development should come as very welcome news. You may be able to control your mental health by simply changing your diet. However, one must be careful to ascribe too much value to diet. In some cases, where mental health is inherently poor, diet can only help, not cure. That said, it is still interesting to think about all the types of possibilities which are available to one who is suffering from poor mental health. The idea of simple dietary changes as a possible treatment option is quite amazing to think about. Gluten has been an increasingly avoided element in healthful diets. While many are aware of the possible gastrointestinal issues, many are not aware of the cognitive issues that can occur when gluten is ingested. Studies have even shown changes in white matter brain tissue in those sensitive to gluten. Since white matter is a big part of neurogenesis, growth of new brain cells, a disruption in this process would be tragic and very bad for brain health. If one element has to be linked to poor brain health more than any other, sugar is it. With no nutritional value and only negative effects shown, sugar may be man's greatest blunder. We now are in an obesity pandemic, and along with obesity comes metabolic syndrome, and also metabolic syndrome in the brain. Yes, you heard that correctly. A poor diet leads to a deficiency of omega-3 fatty acids, which leads to dysfunctions and insulin receptor signaling and cognition. Specifically, fructose intake has been shown to be problematic in the brain, leading to more insulin resistance. Metabolic dysfunction then causes problems with synaptic plasticity. However, some of the issues of too much sugar can be improved with adequate omega-3 fatty acid intake. It is important to note, though, that the keyword is resolution of some issues, not all. 
Metabolic syndrome in the brain results in impaired vascular reactivity, neuroinflammation, oxidative stress, and abnormal brain lipid metabolism. None of these are good. Sugar has also demonstrated increased cravings, downregulated dopamine receptors, and many other cognitive problems. Studies have clearly indicated that sugar consumption causes cognitive dysfunction, especially when it is consumed in excess. And this is ignoring all the other vast behavioral problems associated with excess sugar consumption. Many studies have shown that nutritional intervention can help to reduce inflammation and oxidative stress. When a brain ages, inflammation, as well as cellular and molecular oxidative damage, increases. This is part of why we lose our cognitive abilities. Vegetables and fruits are anti-inflammatory and contain antioxidants, helping to stop or at least slow this process. We know that inflammation is bad in our bodies, but in the brain it is much worse. This is why it is essential to consume a diet rich with polyphenols and make sure to get plenty of omega-3 fatty acids, preferably DHA. At first it was seen as somewhat improbable that diet could impact neuronal health, but then again it once seemed improbable that we could grow new brain cells, a fact that has become indisputable over the last 20 years in the field of neurology. More and more we are seeing studies that prove diet has a huge impact on brain health. This is especially true in cases of dementia and Alzheimer's. Positive effects on vascular dementia have been shown with vitamin C and E, though research is ongoing. Since coconut oil has been shown to benefit those suffering from cognitive problems, it makes sense to include coconut oil in one's diet as a preventative measure as well. Depression in diet has been a hotly studied topic for many years now. Consumption of omega-3 fatty acids, antioxidant-rich foods, complete proteins, carbohydrates low in sugar, these all help with brain health. Now extrapolate this out and realize that the reverse, lots of omega-6, inflammatory foods, incomplete proteins, carbohydrates high in sugar, will likely cause depression. Now to what degree is debatable. Is diet only an element of depression in those who are already susceptible, or is diet causing depression in more of the population than we realize? The latter seems to be the answer, surprisingly. Since a poor diet leads to gut microbiota changes and much of your serotonin and mental health begins in your gut, you can see the mechanism that likely causes depression. Western diets are poor in a variety of ways. Inflammatory seed oils, lack of omega-3 fatty acids, too many carbohydrates, too much fructose, the list goes on. Studies have shown just how bad Western foods can be, cookies being as addictive as cocaine as one example. Since these foods are designed to addict, it comes as no surprise that poor mental health will result from their regular consumption. But to many people, sadly, this knowledge goes unlearned and unused. Studies have found that diet actually alters the gene expression of dopamine. That is an incredible find, and other studies have shown that protein intake can help improve dopamine levels as well as reducing food cravings. Poor quality fats have also been shown to reduce dopaminergic function, and this is yet one other reason why they should be avoided. The more sugar that is consumed, the more sugar is craved. And the more sugar you consume, the less pleasure you receive from it. This is the same effect that alcohol, cocaine, gambling, and any other form of addiction have on your brain. And no, I am not kidding. Conclusion. Have I made you think twice about what exactly is happening inside your brain whenever you consume your daily meals? There is so much activity occurring at a molecular and cellular level that there is no way to ever even comprehend all of it. But we can look to the studies and see that there have been incredible advances since we first started studying our diet's effects on our neuronal processes. Consuming a healthy diet is important for so many more reasons than we can even begin to imagine. As a scientific community, we are nowhere near to understanding all of the mechanisms that are beneficial for eating healthy foods. There are, of course, some certainties. Omega-3 fatty acid supplementation, preferably DHA, complete proteins, antioxidant-rich foods like blueberries, healthy fats like coconut oil, and extra virgin olive oil, the list goes on. So the next time you go to eat a simple meal that you may have eaten 50 times prior, think, if only for a second, of all the processes and changes which are occurring in your brain. It is an amazing thing, and the choice between healthy foods and unhealthy ones may be having much more of an impact than you realize.
All right, Paler Hackers, back again. You just heard him read his article, The Effects of Food on the Brain. Casey Thaler, what's up, Casey? Not too much, Clark. How are you? Well, first question, what are the effects of foods on the brain? Right, so this is kind of back to common sense, I guess, where your mom would tell you to eat a lot of vegetables and you would probably fight endlessly not to do that. Um, so, But she actually was right. Uh, vegetables and things that have antioxidants are much better for your brain than most of the foods in the Western diet, which are high in inflammatory proteins, compounds, etc., and that can cause a lot of problems. And excess sugar would be another example, which may even be linked to dementia. So, hmm. Okay. So there's negative effects of food on our brain, and there's definitely positive effects of food on our brain, and it's linked pretty closely. Right. And without mental health, you don't really have much health at all. So uh, it's kind of an important topic. So. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. And so I know there's some hot button foods that seem to be floating around in the health sphere. Um, whether that be gluten, soy, sugar, dairy, uh, mm-hmm. what have you. So uh, take any one of those. What's kind of How is it affecting our brain? Sure. So the one thing I've looked at specifically, um, actually one of my more popular articles for Dr. Cordain was on gluten and the brain. And basically what the research shows is that there's actually changes in white matter brain tissue related to gluten consumption. So people that are consuming gluten that don't have celiac disease can actually have changes in their brain. Now, the science is still pretty early and not definitive, but um, that's definitely not something you'd want to be happening. (laughs) And uh, we recognize, you know, pretty vastly that inflammation in the body is bad, but inflammation in the brain is about, you know, 20 times worse. Mm. And again, everything that's affecting your brain is going to affect the rest of your life, like your decisions, your health, that kind of thing, your mood. Um, So we definitely don't want inflammation in the brain. Um, So for metabolic syndrome too, you're going to see some... Uh, effects like on the body where people become obese, but it can also be, you know, uh, you can be inflamed in your brain. So you can be like Tofi where you're thin on the outside, fat on the inside. So that's like the 50 year old guys that appear to be healthy, but then drop dead of a heart attack or something like that. So, um, you know, it's hard to measure this stuff without looking at scientific papers day in and day out, but, um, it is a, it's a big problem. It's happening too. I mean, I know everyone writes off and scoffs off gluten intolerance and, you know, the, the debunkers out there and the blogs that debunk gluten sensitivity and why it's not that bad. They all focus Mm -hmm. on celiac disease or, Mm -hmm. and, and, what that does, how they test for it, is they take a snapshot of your gut and they basically say, okay, are the villi and microvilli worn down? And if they do, it's kind of like a shag carpet. Are the shag rugs worn down? And if they are, it's like, okay, you have celiac disease. Well, the non-celiac gluten sensitivities that people say don't exist or whatever are actually mm-hmm. really, really, really hard to test for. So mm-hmm. what Dr. O'Brien was telling us on the call, um, I think a year or two ago, was mm. that for every one person that has uh, gluten sensitivity in their gut, there's like 10 of them that have it manifest in their brain. And yeah. so bringing it back to what we were just talking about, it's hard to test for it on your brain. And just because it might not be out there, uh, research is still inconclusive on how it affects the brain, you can feel it and that it can have a massive effect on the brain and it's just hard to test for. Yeah, and the other thing here is um, 
there's, I guess there's two points. Uh, one is you don't really know what it's doing to you until you pull it out of your diet. So like until people really pull this stuff out like strictly for 30 days and then see how they personally feel, there's really no way of knowing. And then two would be that gluten and like grains don't really have any upside to consumption. So like, I mean, yeah, it may be nice to eat like cereal from time to time, but it's really not doing anything positive for you except yeah. you enjoy eating it. So I don't really get a lot of the uh, the articles where everybody's trying to fight against the gluten thing so so much. I know there's obviously industry and monetary ties, and you know it's not conventional wisdom, I guess, but it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because everybody is so fat and everybody is so sick now, and it seems like that would be a pretty obvious uh, reason to start looking at maybe stuff in our diet that's causing problems. So. You know, I, I think maybe it's one of those cases where we're just like 10 years ahead of everybody and like 10 years from now, it'll be like common sense. This stuff is bad, but um, at least I hope maybe that's where we'll be. So, it, it, but it, without without the papers to show this specifically is happening, it is hard to uh, justify some of your claims, I guess, sometimes. So with, let's go back to inflammation then. Um, mm-hmm. What other inflammatory foods are people eating that are affecting their brain? We mentioned gluten. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, uh, dairy would be one of them. Well, dairy is tough because it's hard. It's very individualistic, and sometimes it can be bad. Sometimes it can be good. It's actually the perfect food for infants, which is why we all, you know, breastfeed and all that sort of thing. But um, anything that's processed, soy would be bad. Oils that are low quality oils would be really bad. Um, basically. Anything that isn't meats, healthy fats, vegetables, and fruits will be bad. And even like pork sourced meats, obviously, would be bad too, like grain fed meats and that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, and again, there there's varying degrees of this stuff. Like, obviously, like grain fed meats probably not going to be as inflammatory as like you know corn pops or whatever breakfast cereals out there. So it's it depends, and there's definitely a scale of one to ten and. It's more like the glass effect where if you have a little bit of water in the glass, it's not so bad. But if you start filling up like all these inflammatory foods all the time, it's going to spill over and you're going to have problems. Cool. So So a lot of people complain of brain fog or feeling like Mm -hmm. they can't concentrate or feeling like, you know, there's things that pop up in their mind and it's just got this thick fog that they can't Mm -hmm. focus in on. What's causing that? Oh, man, that's a tough one because there's so many things that can be causing that. Uh, basically, like everything in your body has to go exactly correct for you not to have brain fog. Huh. And then if you change even one thing, like if you don't get enough sleep, you could have brain fog. But what I think the most overarching uh, cause of that would be would be insulin and leptin resistance. So basically people pumping themselves so full of sugar all the time that their brain literally can't function the way it should be functioning. So, um, and then caffeine can kind of gray that too, because if you're a caffeine addict and you don't get your caffeine, you're going to feel like you have brain fog, even though you don't. Caffeine is actually a vasoconstrictor. So you're getting less blood flow to your brain when you're drinking caffeine. Okay. Yeah. Cause that makes sense. Cause I, I, I get brain fog, um, quite often actually. And I've been trying to figure out what it is in my diet that's causing mm-hmm. that. And a lot of, I mean, I do drink coffee. I drink probably more than you should be drinking. Um, it's <laughs> a ritual for do, me. I love yeah. it. I love it. And yeah. so caffeine, coffeine has always been that thing for me that I seem um, to link to the brain fog. And, and surprisingly, it's not when I don't get caffeine, I get brain fog. It's when mm-hmm. I, it's when I drink too much coffee. That's when I start getting the brain fog and the crashes later. 
Well, absolutely. And kind of, I mean, most things in the body need to be like in the Goldilocks zone, as Rob Wolf would say. So like you need a little bit of it, but not too much. And you don't want none of it. So like it's it's a very tough thing to uh, to measure. And that's why like a regular diet and sleeping schedule can actually be a really good thing for most people because they can sort of figure out then what is causing problems because then they have like a control group to base that off of. So, hmm. um, yeah, but it's very tough. Like it's easy to say a lot of these things when looking at papers and writing articles, but when dealing with actual people, people are so variable that it's really hard to make blanket statements or to say right off the bat that this is definitely causing your problem. You know, that's, that's one sign I would tell people to look for too. If somebody's kind of selling you a snake oil or something is if they say X is the problem to every issue you might have, the yeah. problem full of it is usually a good yeah. sign. Magic um, pill. So, yeah, if one thing is going to solve all your problems, chances are they're not really on the level. So, um, what yeah, I find too, what I find too is like people who buy the magic pills, buy the magic supplements. You ask them, well, what did the last magic pill do for you? What did the last? <laughs> Why magic wasn't the last do? one magic? Yeah, yeah exactly. for sure, for sure. Okay, you know, it's it's a band aid effect. You know, yeah. people have a hard time looking at their actual lifestyle and changing it. So, band aids don't fix bullet holes, as Taylor Swift would say. <laughs> Is that a real quote, by the way? I yeah, know she, that. yeah uh-huh. dude, she sings, she has some cheesy lyrics. Um, I work with middle schoolers and they always, you know, I mean, of course I don't listen to Taylor Swift, right? It's those <laughs> middle schoolers. I don't have all her albums on my iPhone. She's kind of like omnipresent though, isn't she? Yeah. Like, I don't even just, watch TV, but I can't yeah. afford Taylor Swift. You can't not uh, listen to her. She's the gluten of music. <laughs> She inflames everything you do, and it just... I think you should make a T-shirt of that, and I will buy one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, good stuff, man. The effects of food on the brain—it's on Paler Hacks. Uh, Casey, where can people find you, get a hold of you, and and learn more? Um, they could go to Facebook, Eat Clean, Train Clean. They can go to Twitter, Eat Clean, T Clean, or my website, eatcleantrainclean.com, and send me an email. Awesome, Casey. Thanks for coming on. No problem.